please pray with me. Almighty God, I come before your people today in great weakness, fear, and trembling. Please, Lord, send your spirit. You be the preacher among us now, Lord, and take this uh, weak voice and weak body and bring us into your presence through the word of God as it is expounded. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And then you may be seated. And Deacon Jesus, um, since you are the chalice bearer, would you go get me some clean water, please? So I'll get... <clears throat> well, beloved, today is Trinity Sunday. So that means that today we celebrate what the scriptures reveal to us about who God is. Via God's self-revelation in his word, we know God to be one God who is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, at this point, some of us will begin to check out because we have heard all this before, and though we may believe it, we can't begin to understand it, and it seems to have little relevance in our lives. But I want to suggest to you this morning that the doctrine and the person of the Holy Trinity is exceedingly relevant to us today. In fact, there is a direct relationship between the Trinity and the most compelling issue in the world today. And no, that compelling issue is not climate change or terrorism or the Zika virus or the economy or hunger. No, we know what it is because the New York Times and Bruce Springsteen and Itzhak Perlman and a bevy of university commencement speakers have told us that the most compelling issue in the world today is bathrooms. <laughs> I am not kidding. There is a direct connection between Trinity Sunday and bathrooms because there is a connection to the, who God is and who we are as human beings. I need to know who God is because that is how I know who I am. Now, before you get nervous, I want you to know that I'm not going to address policy. I'm not going to be talking about HB2. Just like the Department of Justice, I have my own poorly thought out and incoherent ideas about that kerfuffle, and I would be glad to share those with you in another context when I'm not talking about the infallible Word of God. And I especially do not want to make anyone who struggles with gender identity feel like that they are not welcome in our family because they are. This is something that strikes very close to home in my own extended family. There's a very real struggle of identity for some people and Christ Church is here to bring the light of Christ into every dimension of human existence and to every human struggle. So if an adult or a teenager wrestles with gender identity, you are loved and you are welcomed here with us. And I, for one, would be happy to walk with you through with what you're going through. It would be a joy and a pleasure and a great honor for me to serve you as a pastor. Nevertheless, there is the, the biblical path that we are going to be walking today does directly address fundament, the fundamental, listen, the biblical path we are walking today does address the fundamental ideas that got us to the point in our cultural conversation that makes where you go potty 
more emotionally compelling than genocide in the Middle East. And it all relates to the doctrine of the Trinity. So here's what's revealed about who God is as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God in, God in his own eternal being, in the essence of his very godness, is relational. The three persons of the Holy Trinity are revealed not as isolated individuals, but in reference to relationship. It's right there in the divine name itself. In Matthew 28, verse 19, Jesus says that the name, not names, the name of the Trinity is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, Father and Son are obviously inherently relational terms. Father makes no sense unless it implies a relationship with a child. Son makes no sense as a term unless it implies a relationship to a parent. And when Jesus begins to teach about the person of the Holy Spirit in John's gospel, he does so in distinctly relational terms. A while back, we actually heard this one other Sunday, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. So listen, we don't know the Spirit in isolation, but as the one who proceeds from the Father. He proceeds from the Father. That's relational. And here Jesus names the Spirit the Helper. As we've recently talked about, that word helper comes from the Greek word paraclete, which means one who has been called alongside So that is an inherently relational term. You can't have one called alongside unless there's another one to be called alongside too. This relational. And because of that, other versions of the Bible, other English versions, translate the word paraclete as counselor and comforter and advocate. All of these titles describe relationship. Here is the point. This community of persons in the unity of the Godhead exists in a relationship of mutual, self-giving love. Reformed theologian Cornelius Plantiga puts it this way. Please listen, I know this is a little heady. Here, I'll take a little water so that you can get prepared. (laughs) But put on your thinking caps and listen. At the center of the universe, self-giving love is the dynamic currency of the Trinitarian life of God. The persons within God exalt each other, commune with each other, defer to each other. Each person, so to speak, makes room for the other two. I know it sounds a little strange, But we might almost say that the persons within God show each other divine hospitality. After all, John's gospel tells us that the Father is in the Son, and that the Son is in the Father, and that each loves and glorifies the other. 
When early Greek Christians spoke of perichoresis, by the way, that means to dance around. When early Greek Christians spoke of perichoresis in God, they meant that each divine person harbors the others at the center of his being. In constant movement of overture and acceptance, each person envelops and encircles the others. The God we know, revealed in Jesus Christ as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is a community of love. God's identity is love. God is love. Now, here's where we get a step closer to the bathroom brouhaha. Take a look back at the Genesis passage we just read. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So here at the very beginning of the human story, we are told that to be human is to be made, created, in the image of God, the Imago Dei. And we know that this God, as we have just heard, is Trinity, and thus he is inherently within his own being relational. Our humanity, then, is defined by who God is. We're created in his image. Deep down, God is relational and is known only through relationship. Here it is. Listen, this means to be authentically human is to be defined by relationship. You cannot know yourself apart from relationship. Identity equals relationship. Now, that truth, that idea, that biblical doctrine of knowing myself only fully and truly in relationship is completely contrary to the deepest held convictions of our secular society. Our secular society doesn't say, know yourself through relationships. This is how it says you know yourself. Rather, you know yourself, you define yourself, you might even say you create yourself by looking deep within yourself as an autonomous, atomized, autonomous individual, and then being true to the self that you find deep down inside. You find your true self by looking within, and then you must have the courage to express that person, no matter what else anyone, no matter what anyone else says, to be authentic is to look within and find my true self, and then have the courage to express that. And that is exactly the plot of every animated Disney feature for the last 25 years. Find your true self by looking within. Be authentic to yourself, no matter what anyone else says, let it go. Let it go. (laughs) So the rhetoric that we are getting in our society that is secular is very consistent with that. The rhetoric from the ruling elite, the media and entertainment elite, is that denying bathroom access to someone who has looked deep within 
and found a gender identity different from their biological identity is denying that person's dignity to be their true, authentic self. And of course, that is a deeply wicked thing to do. Do you see how these two ideas are vastly contrary to one another? So that means that the Christian understanding that we find our true self in self-giving love is on an inevitable collision course with the secular understanding of finding your true self by looking within. And I'm, I want to stop here and just add a comment. I, while we, we have fundamental disagreements with the secular world, and those disagreements are coming into sharper relief every day, Brothers and sisters, I will say this, at least from our end of things, we have got to find a way to live with each other. And I would also urge those who are secularist post-Christians that they're going to have to find a way to live with us too. Do you really want to exclude 30% of your population from the public square and all things? I don't think we want to do that in a liberal democracy. So we have to find a way to, look, to live with each other. But what I want to talk about right now is to be very clear about the ideas that are driving these two different worldviews. So this inevitable conflict has happened. Jesus himself is the originator of this bizarre idea that I don't look within myself to find my true identity. He says this, here's bedrock, bedrock. I mean, you can't get more basic than this, bedrock Christian doctrine. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him look deep within himself and find his true authentic self. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Folks, we need to understand that what Jesus just said there sounds horrible to the world we're in today. It sounds deeply wicked to the world we are in today. It sounds like the worst thing they ever heard. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Deny the inner self. Give it up to the Lord and follow in relationship. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And nothing could be more stridently at odds with the deepest held convictions of the present age. Our Christian understanding of what the core reality of the universe is, is that you don't look inwardly to find yourself. You look outwardly to find your true self. So we deny ourselves and follow Jesus. My true self isn't based on my inward feelings. Oh, God, please help me. No, I don't want that to define who I am. Our true self isn't defined by our inward feelings, but on the love that is directed to God and from the love, and the from, love from God that is directed back to me. And the primary relationship, the primary relationship I'm created for where that identity is found, of course, is in God. And that's exactly what C.S. Lewis said. Again, put on your thinking caps. He said this in The Problem of Pain. 
For in self-giving, if anywhere, we touch a rhythm not only of all creation, but of all being. For the eternal word, Jesus, also gives himself in sacrifice. For when he was crucified, he did that in the wild weather of his outlying provinces, which he had done at home in glory and gladness from before the foundation of the world. From the highest to the lowest, self, oh, listen, please, from the highest to the lowest, from God to the lowest of us. Self exists to be abdicated. And by that abdication becomes the more truly self. And thereupon yet more abdicated. And so on forever. This is not a law which we can escape. What is outside the system of self-giving is not earth, not nature, nor ordinary life, but simply and solely hell. That fierce imprisonment in the self. Self-giving is absolute reality. If we seek to be defined by looking inward to our desires, our passions, our feelings, we will not find our authentic self. We will find hell. We will find a roiling maelstrom of conflicting desires, disordered affections, and ravaging appetites. In other words, we find that we are dominated by our broken, sinful human nature. These inner forces will not define our authentic selves, but will ultimately destroy ourselves. Instead, we offer ourselves with our brokenness, with our sin, in surrender to Jesus Christ. And he, as he did on the Sea of Galilee, calms the raging storm of our passions and gives us peace and direction and a truly integrated self that is capable of love and of wholeness. As Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He's talking about, that's Galatians 5.24, how we find our true self. So it doesn't matter if, it is, if it's gender identity or sexuality or ideology or whatever is presented to us as the source for the true self, we have to reject that I know my identity by looking within. And part of being in relationship with God is recognizing that I am a creature. He created them, created them, male and female. He has defined my humanity objectively. And being in relationship with God means allowing him to bring our affections, our desires, our passions into order under his lordship. Russell Moore, two weeks ago, wrote this. He speaks to the church. First, we must bear witness to the goodness of what it means to live as creatures, not as self-defining gods and goddesses. God created us as human and within humanity as male and female. We are all sinners, so we chafe against having ourselves defined by a creator and not by ourselves, 
or our ideologies. Our nakedness shames us because our physical difference reminds us that we are not self-contained. Man needs woman and woman needs man. I really do not contain multitudes. My maleness and your femaleness aren't about us at all. They fit us within a much larger stream of a species by nature and of a communion by grace. The way of discipleship is to settle on the fact that we serve a God who knows more about humanity and more about us personally than we know about ourselves. So here is some practical pastoral guidance. If you are a teen or an adult who struggles with gender identity, or if there is a person in your family or among your friends who is a teen or adult who struggles with, with gender identity, know that you are loved by God, that you are infinitely precious to God. And though you may be confused about who you are and there is great anxiety and a deep struggle, God knows who you are and loves you as who you are. Know that in spite of how misaligned you may feel with your body at this moment, you are, in fact, at this moment, still created in the image of God. You're loved and in his image, regardless of how you feel. Nothing can take that away. That is the source of your dignity. It is not some inward fiction of identity. It is that God has loved you. He has called you into being, and he has stamped his image on you. There is no higher dignity than that. You belong with God, and you belong with the people of God who will love you and cherish you. This confusion that we suffer in our culture today is not a new phenomenon. Evidently, looking at all the Victorian depictions of Jesus, Jesus struggled deeply with gender identity because he looks like a bearded woman. <laughs> This is not a new phenomenon. What is new is that gender identity now has been co-opted as a part of an agenda bent on redefining humanity separately from God in a way that ultimately is destructive to human flourishing. That is new. Instead, beloved, let us walk with you. If that is your struggle, or if there's someone, would you please take this message to them if you know that person? Let Christ Church walk with you and love you. Be with us so that through the Holy Spirit, your true self will be revealed in Christ. Dear beloved brothers and sisters, all of us are discovering our identity in this way every day at Christ Church. We know that because it is said in, by Paul in 2 Corinthians, shout out, I guess, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image, all of us, 
from one degree of glory to another. Wouldn't you like to come and be a part of us who are being transformed into that image from one degree of glory to another? For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are all being transformed. We all are being given a new identity. We are all being transformed into his image from one degree of glory to another. And if you are a baptized believer who struggles with these things, then I have good news for you. Holy communion is where you can anchor your identity. Because communion has no meaning apart from relationship. The word communion is nothing but relationship. We are defined by this meal because here we accept God's self-offering love at a table in bread and wine. And here we also offer ourselves in return to love to him and to our brothers and sisters around the table as living sacrifices, which is our reasonable service of worship. And by being taken out of myself in love at this table and being made one With his body here, I find my true self. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.